Scripture talks about our walk and our life and our living and our obedience, our love, our service, all of these things that we give to God essentially sum up what we call the race of life. And I want to talk to you about that race, that race very briefly to add a little punch or challenge to what we've already told you. I begin by telling you about a most unusual race. It began with two gas company meter readers. There was a senior trainer who was supervising a young trainee, and they were checking out meters along the street. They parked their truck at the end of the alley, and then meter by meter worked their way up the alley, and then they were going to work their way back. When they got to the last home at the end of the alley, they were reading the meter, and there was an old lady standing at her kitchen window watching them. What she didn't know is that the senior supervisor was a little bit challenged by the younger guy, so he said, you know what? I'll race you back to the van, and I bet I can beat you. And so the two guys suddenly spun around and hauled buns down the street to this van. And they were running full speed. And they were shocked when the old lady passed them up. She sprinted past them, huffing and puffing. And when they finally got to the van, they stopped and asked her, what's wrong? And she was gasping for breath. And she said, when I see two gas men running full speed away from my house, I figured I better run too. <laughs> that wasn't a planned race, but we saw something interesting. The lady was running for sure, apparently quite fast. But the thing is, she wasn't exactly sure why she was running. But somehow she seemed to think that her life depended upon it. Wouldn't it be awesome if every person here and every person we know that claims the name of Christ would focus on the finish line that Scripture talks about as if their lives depended on it? It's like Christ is there saying to each of us, keep your eyes on me, keep pumping those arms and legs, and you will finish that race. How we run the race of life is influenced by the way we think about it. So briefly, I'm going to talk to you about something that's not originally, uh, is not original to me, but has been adapted for this evening, that I call the seven laws for running, quote-unquote, the race, the race of life. And I'm praying that God will use these seven truths, these seven influences, these seven challenges to keep us running when we feel like dropping out. As you think of the Apostle Paul, he was an athlete. He was kind of like Pastor Michael, only he was a better golfer. But if you look at Scripture, you find out that the motif of racing, the Olympic race, was very dear to the Apostle Paul. We don't know if he ever sat in the stands of one of the athletic events in Athens or Corinth, but they certainly were around. But regardless of whether he was there or not, he gives us all kinds of parallels between the games that you would have attended then and the believer's race in life to please the Lord and to finish what he's called us to. He gives us seven laws for running, if you please,
and I'm going to give you seven scriptures with brief alliteration, and then we'll wrap things up. The first law of running is this, run to win. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 25 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. That woman running down the street had no idea why she was running except she's scared to death. We know why we're running. And God has promised a reward for those that stay true. I was living up in the Northwest uh, most of my growing up years, and I used to water ski a lot. And there was a slough that ran between Lake Sammamish and Lake Washington right on the edges of Seattle. And this slough is about 20 miles long. One year they had a race to see who could get from Lake Sammamish to uh, Lake Washington the fastest. That's all it counted was speed. But the catch was, doesn't matter what kind of boat you had, you had to have a water skier behind you. So that could slow the odds down, especially on corners. Well, they had all kinds of different boats, but none of them could really open up because the slough in some places was only about 30 feet wide, in other places maybe 60. So it was quite narrow. And you'd be sitting around the bend. People like the bends because that's where wipeouts would happen. But anyway, you would hear this, and you say, wow, here comes a fast boat. And around the corner would come this drag boat screaming, but still they had big fins in the water, and uh, the skier would be behind it, wrapped up in a, with a helmet, and all wrapped up in a big life vest. And they'd be just kind of in a tuck position while they were trying to make the best time they could. And so you saw a lot of water skiers come barreling down there full speed, trying to win. The object was to reach the lake first at the best time. And then all of a sudden, something strange happened. We heard a We thought, that doesn't sound fast. And finally, we saw what the noise was when it came around the corner. And it was just an average slow speedboat with a skier behind it. And all he was doing was enjoying the ride. And then whenever there's a crowd gathered, he would pull up and kick into them and throw a wall of water on them and get them screaming. And then he'd go down and cut across and get the other side. Do you think he was out to win? He was having a lot of fun. But if you're going to win a race, it's not just going out there and having a hayride. The Apostle Paul says, run to win. There's time to relax in different ways along the way. You've got to keep yourself healthy, but run to win. Number two, observe strict discipline. Are you catching those for me, Brandon? Okay, I have a tendency to forget to click, so. Observe strict discipline. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 20 to 25 say, Everyone who competes in the games goes into eating ice cream and getting fat. Isn't that what it says? No. Oh, yeah, it says everyone who competes in games goes into strict training. Fast forward a bit. Paul says, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. It's pretty obvious. Serious athletes, runners. I hated cross-country running because I was slow and I didn't have great endurance. But you'd see these guys out there running all the time, and they were so awesome. They had such big lungs and hearts and and they trained, and they ran, and they ran, and they ran. 
observe discipline. If you are lacking in self-discipline, for example, in having some sort of devotional life and prayer, where you're spending time in the presence of God, not because it's a church or you have to, but because you want to, where there's a love relationship growing. If you're not disciplined enough to do that because you can't turn the TV off at night, so you can't get up early, or whatever it might be, then you're going to have a hard time finishing the race well. Number three, don't look back. Philippians 3, verses 13 to 14. Paul says, brothers... And all of these are verses that Paul has uh, is recorded speaking. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love that verse. My brother Nelson is a missionary. He's uh, three and a half years older than me, and his wife is about a year older than him. So I'm almost 63. That puts him around 66-ish. <laughs> and they were in Nepal, and his wife was with him. And they were being taken into a village deep into the mountains, so they had to start walking up these trails where there were literally 1,000-foot cliffs and then huge cliffs on the other side, and you had a two-foot-wide trail. It makes me nervous just hearing about it. And I asked Linda, his wife, I said, how did you do it? And she said, I was scared to death. And the Sherpa, or their guide, kept saying, don't look down, don't look back, just look at my feet, and as I walk, you put your feet where my feet are. And that skill's very scary to me. I don't know how she did it. My respect for Linda went up a hundredfold. Um, I love looking out of airplanes, but put me on a high trail with a cliff like that, I would probably faint and fall over. Don't look back. Follow the leader who is Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes ahead on the prize. Number four, the fourth law of running the race well. Get constant encouragement. The Apostle Paul says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 3, which is one of my favorite passages in all of the scriptures, out of about 100, uh, <laughs> he says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race set before us. Uh, let me start over again. I got sidetracked there. Let, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us uh, run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Georgie and I are passionate about missions and missionaries. And we do all we can to encourage them and help them along the way. And by God's grace, we have seen many come out of depression and press ahead. Even Mary, who we talked to, and I don't want to say anything bad about her because she is a real sweetheart and a real gem. But she was, had a pretty full plate for someone who's getting up there in years and 
I said, Mary, when is the last time you laughed? She really couldn't remember. So we made sure that there was a lot of laughter in the house. She even liked my corny jokes. Get encouragement. Sometimes you're around people who will encourage you, but many times if you don't seek it out or take the steps to, to surround yourself with people who can also encourage you, then you can quit. You can give up. Hebrews tells us we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and chapter 11 tells us who those heroes of the faith were that are our witnesses. They're examples to us as we run. He says we're surrounded by them. They're cheering us on, so to speak. And Jesus is cheering us on. So get the encouragement you need. And then back to Hebrews 12, verse 1, number 5, throw off restraints. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us or marked out for us. It's obvious that if we engage in sin, that we're going to stumble. We will not finish well. But even beyond the sin, it says, let us lay aside those things that entangle us, that aren't necessarily sinful, but they still can sidetrack us. For example, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, we're told not to love the world or the things that are in the world. And what are those things in the world that John lists for us? He says, the lust of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the boastful pride in possessions. There are many ways that those are interpreted but essentially it says, if anyone loved these things, the love of the Father is not in him. And a person without love for the Father will not finish a race because we run for him. But we can get sidetracked by possessions or riches or things that look good to our eyes. And in and of themselves, some of those things are not bad. But it's like we learn in Scripture that the person who loves money and is eager to have it to buy things and to have all these things they can before they leave this world, those things can be distraction. And many, a man and a woman, have bit the dust in the race because of their love for money. We need money. The Bible speaks about it a lot. But that, as well as basic immorality, are two of the greatest hindrances that entangle people and keep them from finishing the race. So throw off the restraints. Get an accountability partner who you can share with and who can look at, uh, you can look at them and say, how can we encourage each other to run as lightweight as possible this race through this life? Number six, discount pain. Paul says in Acts 20 verses 22 to 24, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city, even in Sevilla, in Spain, in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Some of you heard the phrase, when the going gets tough, the 
the tough get going. I liked one phrase when I was in wrestling and we wanted to give up on some of the stuff we did there. They said, when the going gets tough, the tough get tougher. The fact is, any athlete and a runner knows the pain of training, of swimming and having burning lungs, of being a mountain climber and hanging on while your grip and your fingers are killing you, but to let go would mean sure death. There's all kinds of examples the Apostle Paul could give us, but he says, I don't consider my life worth as much as finishing the race, and so I'm going to run it. I'm going to run it. I'm going to testify and share the gospel. I'll just take a second here. This past week when we were at Biola College, uh, I was very impressed. I've been to a lot of uh, universities, and uh, we've looked at their different missions program, but the one that impressed me the most, at least this year, was Biola. And they had a speaker. I think it was, his name was something like Mark uh, Collins or something like that. I forget. But he talked to the students about how many of you here witnessed the last week to someone, told someone about Jesus. And only three hands went up and he said, let me try it again. Let me do it this way. Everyone hold your hand up. So everyone held their hand up and he said, okay, I know they're working. And he kept going, and then he gave a wonderful challenge and a lot of very helpful tips and encouraging words about how to share the faith. And then he said, this is Thursday night. I'm going to give you an assignment, every one of you, to share your faith with at least one person by Saturday night. And uh, he said, you can do this. Some of the uh, uh, helps he gave us were my teacher gave me this project, and I'm asking this question <laughs> about God or something like that. And he says, I am a teacher, and I'm giving this to you, so you can go out and honestly say my teacher gave me this assignment, and I want you to do this. So here I was, and uh, we took our missionaries down to the beach uh, on Saturday, and it was getting late. And I thought, oh, man, I haven't shared. It's almost two days. And I committed myself to this project. So one of my buddy missionaries and I, we caught a guy in the beach, and he didn't get away. <laughs> so anyway, I share that. For a lot of you, one of the greatest fears in sharing your faith is simple fear. What will they think? What will I say? What if I make a fool of myself? More on that another time. The seventh law is simply this. Paul says, don't let up until you, finish the, you cross the finish line. He says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good faith, I have finished the race, and completed the task that the Lord Jesus has given me to testifying of the gospel of God's grace. Acts 20, verses 22 to 24. Excuse me, I just gave you that one, right? I read the wrong verse. Don't let up until you cross the line. 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8. All right, get this straighter. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I started it right, but I finished it. Don't you love that? The crown of life, of righteousness, that is stored up for those who long for his appearing there's a missionary that got me going on a signature in closing out of letters. And uh, 
He says at the end of the letter when he's finished, he says, until the shout, whatever his name is, in this case it was Rick, until the shout, that's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. When the Lord returns, he's coming with a shout. Until we hear that shout, the Lord is returning. How are we doing in our racing, my friends? We've got just five minutes, and I have a three-and-a-half-minute video I'm going to show you, and then we're done. This video will help put some of this into perspective. Uh, it's about a guy named Derek uh, Redman, and uh, let's see here. He, um, let me get my notes right here. He ran in the Barcelona races in 1992, and... Uh, his story is told by this video, uh, but it can motivate us and inspire us. There's so much that can be brought out in that race that ties in with everything we're saying. The father and all of his actions, you can really expound on that, but we don't have time. But there's just one thing I want to point out there. The largest ovation that anyone got in that whole race and in that stadium was not because he finished first, he received that ovation, but because he finished, like the story said, despite the adversity of a torn hamstring. Usually the largest ovations go to the winner, quote unquote, but the largest ovations go to those with gifting that made the journey the easiest, but for those who achieved with great difficulty and trouble and fought their way to the finish line, those are the people that we identify with so often, and they get those huge ovations. And then get this last point here. God has a very discriminating eye and can see that what is hard for one person may be easier for another. Don't compare yourselves with others in this race. Look to your heavenly Father. He rewards accordingly. We have one missionary seeking to get to the Philippines, raising his support, and his strength is in working with autistic children. There's very little, if anything at all, in the Philippines that values those children enough to minister and show that they have so much to contribute. God rewards accordingly. I'm so glad that we have a Heavenly Father like that. Thank you so much for letting us run our race by your prayers and encouragement, and I want to encourage you to run your race. That show tells me that all of us can give a shoulder for someone when they're struggling in the race. And our goal is to glorify God by helping missionaries to burn on so that more people will be represented in heaven from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Amen.